In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God, Amen. So, we always talk around certain issues in Christianity, but never address them directly. And I think this is one of the ones we want to address. And that is salvation. We like to encompass lots of people. We like to say that everyone is the same. We like to say that um, God sees all equally. And that's absolutely true. We like to feel that our God is a benevolent God who does not discriminate. And that is absolutely true. What we also need to know, however, is that when it comes to salvation, it's not that God discriminates. It's that some people choose him and others don't. Some people want him and others don't. And that sounds really harsh. It sounds oversimplified. But it is the truth. The truth is that God has given us complete freedom to do what we want, including to reject him. And when we reject him, that is a proactive choice. The, the scriptures are very comforting, and they tell us that the gospel will be preached to all before the second coming is upon us. Which means that even when we think about what about these poor other people who don't hear, other people who aren't exposed, other people who don't experience, um, we realize as well that everyone will be exposed to the truth. Whether they choose or not is a totally different issue. For us, salvation is about us being reconciled with God as humanity. So Oregon says, Christ came that he might reconcile us to God when we were separated because of the barrier of wickedness which we set up by sinning. So when we sinned, we created this division. God didn't divide us. God didn't reject us. We rejected him. Don't forget that when Adam and Eve sinned, as we read in the book of Genesis, it was them who hid from God, not God who hid himself from them. So what happened at the time was that they walked with God, they realized they had sinned. When they heard God coming, they fled and they hid. And that's what we do. We hide from God and we place that separation between us and him. And so I know it, it's, like, it's like when you're five and you did something wrong and one of your parents came into the room and you'd hide because you didn't want to be seen. You didn't want interaction. And over time, that barrier that we had placed so stringently between us and God grew and grew and grew, and there was only one way to take it down. It was God himself. It had become so huge a separation that it had to be God rather than us who removed it. And that's why Oregon then says that it was reconciling us by the removal of that separation. 
St. Athanasius goes on to say that this was a way for us to become free from sin, from the curse which came upon us, and that we may be done away with this curse to be risen from the dead and clothed, in his words, in immortality and incorruption. So salvation is a beautiful thing. It's not something we should be apologetic about. We're sometimes apologetic about it because we think other people are left out. But they're not, because God calls all to salvation. God calls us all, without exception. He has no reason to actually leave us behind. But that's great as, as a theology. It shows us that we were created with love, we fell, and through love we were saved. That's what salvation is about. God took flesh, came into the world as the incarnate word, our Lord Jesus Christ, to save us. But what does that mean for you and me personally today? I'm sure that I haven't said anything here that you haven't heard before. I'm sure it's nothing that you haven't heard, not only in your youth meetings and your Bible studies, but in your Sunday school classes from a very young age. But what is it that impacts my life today? The first thing is, because of the way we live as humans, the way we are born, and then the way we transition, the sacrament of baptism and chrismation brings us into that entitlement of salvation. So what it does is it brings us into the body of Christ. Now, of course, baptism is the washing, death and resurrection. And you know that in, with us, for baptism, it's complete immersion. And it's actually like being literally buried in the water and then rising to a new life. And that's why many people are given baptismal names that they hold on to, that they celebrate. It's, it's a death of the old and a birth of the new. And then in chrismation, the anointing, because when we read in the book of Acts, we're told that the disciples baptized and they laid hands. Okay, the laying of hands is the gifting of the Holy Spirit. So when, when, I, when I baptize, after I've chrismated, I will breathe into the person's face and say, receive the Holy Spirit. That was the laying of hands. Because of the spreading of the message, the spreading of, of the ministry, it wasn't possible for those who received the laying of hands to give the laying of hands. And that's why chrism was started. They took the spices of the body of Christ, they gathered together, the disciples gathered together in Jerusalem, they created this anointing oil, and they distributed it to all of their disciples so that they can, in place of the laying of the hands of the apostles, chrismate. And one point I make is that as bishops, we receive this gift 
of laying of hands, not because I'm any more special, just because it's part of the function of the bishop. So technically, when I'm baptizing, I don't need to chrismate. I can just lay hands. I can lay my hand and say, receive the Holy Spirit. We don't tend to do that so we don't confuse people. So that the right, the sacrament, is actually given to all equally. So that everybody, whether it's a priest or a bishop, anoints with the chrism, so that we all have a, a, a standard way of giving it. Of course, in the early church, this would have been mostly by confession and by choice, because it was adult baptism. Now, we actually baptize infants. And because we baptize infants, the parents are there to make these choices on the infant's behalf and then be responsible for the infant as he or she grows up to educate them in the faith. That's why we don't have godparents who are not the parents of the children. It's nice to have godparents. Godparents technically are responsible for you spiritually. But in actual fact, of course, the ones who are responsible spiritually are going to be the parents themselves. They're the ones who live with the child, who nurture the child, who teach the child. And so when they stand and they make the confession of faith on behalf of their son or their daughter, they are then responsible to pass on that faith. Of course, when it's an adult, then he or she makes that statement of faith personally. So the way it impacts us first and foremost is because we receive the Holy Spirit, we become part of the family of God, we receive the entitlement of salvation. And that's something that's beautiful. But we must also believe in the promise of salvation. There are too many Christians now who think that to be a Christian means you do good deeds. There are many, many benevolent people in the world. And many of them are non-Christian. And it's a wonderful thing to do benevolent deeds, to do godly deeds where you're providing for others. But that's not enough. To be a Christian means you need to believe in salvation. You need to believe that that salvation is actually functional in your life. That God wants you to be saved, that God wants you in his kingdom. And not only that, he doesn't just want you randomly, he wants you there so much that he took flesh and came into this world. And that's why we talk about Christ being here, the Incarnation. The Incarnation is not a random act. It is an act for us personally. It's well and good for me to say salvation was there for the whole world. But that's not all it is. Salvation was there for the whole world. But it's there for me personally as well. That's why in the first epistle of St. John... Chapter 5, verses 11 13, we read, God has given us eternal life, and this life is in his Son, who has... So he who has the Son as life, for that person these things I have written to you, that you may believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know 
that you have eternal life in him. So our Lord Jesus Christ, when he came into the world, this wasn't just a random act. It wasn't just to be humble. God could prove his humility in an infinite number of ways. The incarnation was not about humility. It was not so God can express his love. It was not so God can show himself as humble. It was so we could be saved. As a side product, we see it as the expression of love. We see that God is humble. We see that God is forgiving. But the actual reason was for our salvation. And we need to remember that. It's easy to speak about lots of topical things. But the reality of what we are as Christians revolves around the salvation. As an act that changes our actual nature. We were created in the image and likeness of God. But our nature became corrupt. And that had to be changed. And by God's grace, it is now changed. There is nothing that stands in our way anymore. The message of salvation is also a beautiful message of hope. Because it says to me that no matter how corrupt you think you are, no matter how tainted and broken you think you are, no matter how distant and outcast you think you are, it doesn't matter. You know, we sometimes thrive on this feeling of, of being marginalized, of being victims, of being persecuted. What salvation says to me is all of that doesn't matter. What does matter is that all of this has been put to one side and you have received sonship, daughtership, completely refreshed. Whatever separation there was between you and God is now gone. You have every entitlement. You are the prodigal son, you are the prodigal daughter who had gone away, and that implies to us as humanity, have gone away and then have returned. And we've been bestowed with these beautiful gifts that God has given us again to tell us that we're not slaves, but we're children. That we are not even just children, but we are victorious and that we can be in him saved. But we need to do something. And Revelation 2.10 says to us, Be faithful unto death, and I will give you the crown of life. Be faithful unto death, and I will give you the crown of life. What does that mean? It means that faithfulness is not something I can just live. Faithfulness is not just something that exists randomly. I need to choose to be faithful. And that comes in my daily choices. How do I speak to people? How do I deal with people? How do I give of myself? Do I forgive? 
Am I living a life of righteousness? Am I living a life of truth? Do I do all of these things? What do I do? Salvation is not just this big concept. Salvation is down to your daily choices. Stacked together, one after the other, after the other, day by day, week by week, month by month, year, year by year. We, we, we often live so carelessly, thinking that's okay. And look for these big, momentous things that are going to change the course of our life. But we need to realize that that is not salvation. Salvation is about daily sustained choices that we make. Gospel of St. Luke, chapter 1, verses 74 and 75, speaks about us, granting us that we, being delivered from the hand of our enemies, might serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all the days of our life. Once we are called to salvation, we need to stay there. That's why our Lord says, abide in me, live in me. What does that even mean? Abide in me, what does that mean? It means live in me for good. Don't just visit me. Don't just come and leave. Live in me daily, weekly, monthly, hourly. Abide in me in your actions, in your choices, in your life. Because I want to give you salvation. That's why I'm here. We sometimes think we can do what we want on a daily basis, but then do the big things. Let's go serve the poor. Let's go um, be uh, loving to those who maybe aren't so lovable. But what about our families? What about our friends? What about our colleagues at work? What about people we meet on a daily basis? Have I made those righteous decisions constantly? Have I worked towards my salvation daily? Salvation is a daily work. It's not just something that happens. It doesn't just fall on you. It's daily. Am I daily working towards that salvation? Does it matter to me? Or am I so taken up in this world that I don't understand anymore? I'm, I'm so taken up by this world that I live as if I'm not only in this world but of this world. And then when I'm reminded, I do a good deed. I do a righteous deed. When it hits me, <clears throat> When I'm in the right setting, you know, when I'm at church on Sunday, or when I'm at my Bible study, or when I'm city mission serving people in the street, or when I'm at a youth fellowship, but on a daily basis, when I make my daily choices, it's not about salvation. Let's put it this way. Salvation is about life, right? It's about living. We 
desire and seek life in every breath we take. I can't decide not to breathe for an hour and then take a really deep breath and live on that for another hour. The way our bodies are made up is that even in the space of minutes, that would kill us. So, if living literally comes from a series of breaths that I take every minute, then salvation as my life comes as a series of choices that I make every minute through my life. Those choices are my breath. When I make the right choice, when I make the righteous choice. And the beauty about the Incarnation is that our Lord came to say to me, I'm going to be an example for you in your workplace. I'm not just going to tell you how to act in the world. I'm going to show you what it means to deal with human beings. I'm going to show you what it means to deal with lepers, or today we might call them social outcasts. You know, if you're one of that group in the workplace that people don't like, you may as well have leprosy. People think that if they touch you, then it's contagious. You won't be liked anymore. You'll, you'll become marginalized, alienated. How many women at the well do we have in our workplaces? People who may have made the wrong choice, gone the wrong way, lived the wrong life, but we encounter them on a daily basis. How many scribes and Pharisees do we meet? How many tax collectors do we meet? All of these people we've received the blueprint for We've received the ability to understand how God wants us to deal with them. Firstly, first and foremost, for them. Because they deserve to be loved, healed, forgiven, embraced, all of those things. First and foremost. But as a product of that, it's also for my salvation. So don't ever do anything for anyone just to be saved. Because that's really opportunistic. You know, I'm going to be nice to you because I get brownie points from God. That's, opt that, that, that's not what Christianity is about. Christianity is about doing what is right because it's right. Loving because you have love to give. Being sacrificial because that is what we do as the image and likeness of, of God. That's the example we've received from him. So don't be opportunistic. Be Christ-like. When our Lord went to the Samaritan woman, healed the lepers, visited the tax collector, forgave the sinful woman, the adulteress, when he fed the multitudes, that wasn't opportunism. That wasn't him thinking, ah, this is a good... This is really a good media time. This is great. This would be make a good for this will make a good soundbite. You know, if the cameras are here, they'll snap me, it'll be really good. 
that this wasn't a handshaking and baby kissing moment. This was true love. He went to the lepers because they needed healing. He went to the Samaritan woman because she needed empowerment. He forgave the adulteress because she needed forgiveness. Because what they needed. And that's what we need to do. But we also realize that in living that model, we then achieve salvation as well. Because we live righteousness. We live godliness. Because we live the way God wants us to live. Saint Athanasius says of our Lord, For by the sacrifice of his own body, he both put an end to the law which was against us, and made a new beginning of a life that is for us. She's done two things. He's ended the things that worked against us, and he's created things that work for us. So it's really easy, if this is your zero point, to say, okay, I'll wipe out the past. But you start here. You start from scratch, you know, ground zero. But he didn't just do that. He, he covered that in, brought us up to ground zero, and then created the opportunities for us and took us above that and allowed us to achieve a lot more than we possibly could and made a new beginning of life for us by the hope of resurrection which he has given us. And that's the only source of our hope. It's, it's resurrection. Because in that resurrection we realize it's not just about being always alive. Don't forget that resurrection is not about always being alive. Resurrection is about living after being dead. Keep that in mind. You cannot have resurrection without death. Even the resurrection, our resurrection, in righteousness, we can't have that without having sinned and died in sin, but then be raised according to the love of God. So resurrection is only for those who are dead. It's only for the sinful. It's not for the righteous. It's for the sinful. Forgiveness is only for the sinner. Healing is only for the one who is sick. And that's what we need to understand. Salvation transforms us, changes us into new beings with a new life, a new life, a new start, which gives us a new beginning in a new existence. And that impacts us daily. Not just momentarily, not just with the big things, but daily. Because it reminds me that God loves me. When you get up every morning, remember, God loves you. 
God doesn't want you to be buried in sin. God doesn't want you to be defeated by sin. He wants you to rise in righteousness, to be victorious in righteousness. And he gives us all those means. So daily we experience them, daily we live them, and through those daily incremental decisions, choices, it then builds up day after day, week after week, month after month, year after year. It builds up to that time where there is no longer an end, an eternity with him in his kingdom for those who have chosen it, but for those which it became a possibility, pronounced, explained, and a possibility that could be embraced by each and every one of us because God gave it to us as salvation for those who were dead, but he wanted to return to life. And glory be to God forever. Amen.